Let's get back to the Upfront program and we'll uh, we'll chat with our guests for today, all right? You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. All right, uh, we are back to the Upfront program and we continue our Meet the uh, Candidates uh, programs. We've been uh, having them. Uh, can you hear all right in the earphones, uh, Helena? I'm going to listen to okay. you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> all right. We continue our Meet the Candidates uh, program. <clears throat> and um, tomorrow we'll go local. Today we're going to go state. Tomorrow, uh, Chris Beauchamp, former council member here in Woonsocket, decided that he wants to come back to the Woonsocket City Council. We'll chat with him in studio tomorrow morning here on the Upfront program. <clears throat> Today, we're shifting our gears to the gubernatorial race. We've already uh, chatted with uh, Dan McKee. Uh, came in and uh, put his um, platform uh, together and his record together. Nellie Gabir has been here. We chatted with her uh, about a week and a half ago. Today, Helena Folks is going to join us. And I uh, can't wait for Matt Brown. <laughs> he'll, be, he'll be an interesting uh, interview, too. All these candidates are Democrats. And basically, a lot of people have uh, said, as they've called this program, uh, that the September primary is uh, going to decide who's going to be the next governor. Now, the Republican challenger in November is probably not uh, viewing it uh, quite that way. But the point is that this is an important race uh, for the uh, five candidates that uh, we're going to see on the ballot in the primary. Helena Folks is one of them. Hi, how are you doing today? Thanks, Roger. I'm doing great. You know, um, we know that uh, you spend a lot of your time... Uh, at the uh, corporate headquarters of CVS here in Woonsocket. But, um, frankly, I've been here a long time. I know very little uh, about you, but we understand you're a Rhode Island. Are you a Rhode Island person? Born and raised. Okay, yes. tell us a little bit about the biographical sketch before we get to okay. the issues. Good. Well, it's great to be here. I love being in Woonsocket. Yeah, I spent 25 years here, but I was born and raised in Providence. I'm the oldest of five kids. Uh, on my mother's side of the family, um, we have a lot of roots in Westerly. On my dad's side, my great-grandfather came here on a boat alone from Italy at the age of 14. Started working in a restaurant and uh, ended up owning a couple restaurants. And I would say his is the story of the power of education and what it can do for generations. My, my grandfather and his brother both had great educations and, and really built wonderful lives for all of us. So I love this state. I came back here. Uh, I'm the oldest of five and I came back here after school and I started working in Woonsocket at CVS mm -hmm. in 1992. I was in a cubicle and uh, over 25 years there I had almost every job you could have. It was a great honor to serve with so many incredible people, many of whom live here in Woonsocket, Cumberland, Pawtucket, and uh, I really loved it. We became a healthcare company in many ways, which was really quite an honor. The thing I'm probably most proud of is the decision I got to lead to get us out of cigarettes. So this was in 2014. We were doing $2 billion a year in cigarette sales. We were a public company, and we knew that as we were becoming a healthcare company, it was really inconsistent with our mission, and we were making profits, but we really needed to put people's health above that. Um, and it was the most challenging 
effort I've ever led, but I would say the most gratifying. And on a very personal level, I had lost my mother to lung cancer five years before that. So, you know, when you watch someone die that way, it really hits home in terms of the impact you can have as a leader. And I would say so many people inside the company, we had at the time 25,000 pharmacists, for example, all across this country. They were so proud to work for a company that would make such a hard decision. So the reason I bring it up, it's a very important part of my my history and my my sense of purpose. But I also think it's relevant. Uh, Because I think this state is at a point where we need a leader who's willing to make really hard decisions and help put us on a very different path. We will get to health care and the health care workforce and reproductive health a little bit later in the program. One more local type of question. Uh, When Dan McKee uh, was here, because he's from Cumberland, you know, he pushes the northern Rhode Island. I know you folks up here, you know, and I've had a business and so forth. With uh, CVS headquarters here and so many people driving in and driving out, Mm -hmm. will you be able to, uh, and our audience, uh, basically what you're talking to, you're not talking, and nobody in Barrington's listening or Newport, it's uh, Boroughville, North Smithfield, Lincoln, Cumberland, Woonsocket, uh, a lot of Central Falls activity. That's who uh, your, your audience is this morning. Do you know us at all? Well, it's a good question. I, 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 I know many of you because I did work with you. Mm-hmm. You know, there are thousands of people who work for CVS who live up in this neck of the woods. Um, they're working in distribution centers for CVS uh, in North Smithfield and right here in Woonsocket. Uh, they're working right in the headquarters, right at uh, CVS Drive, and uh, they're working really hard and uh I learned a lot from these people, and I have tremendous respect. And I think if you ask your neighbors, anyone who works at CVS, they would say, you know, she was a person who really cared. And so I learned a lot from the people of Northern Rhode Island from that experience. Alina, folks, with us. And now we're going to get to the issues. I'm going to get to her favorite one, I think. She uh, mentioned it, uh, or you mentioned it. I'm talking like you weren't here in the building. (laughs) Uh, You mentioned it uh, in your earlier remarks uh, with... uh, with your family education and getting a, a good education. And, and then you're a Rhode Islander. You look at what we have for educational opportunities. And uh, I think in looking at your website and listening to some of the things you're saying, we could do a hell of a lot better job than we do. Oh, my gosh. We deserve so much better. Our kids do, the families. So it is my number one issue. Um, just to set the table a little bit, Roger, if you look across the state, only 33% of our kids pass their grade level reading tests and only 20% in math. And this is coming out of COVID. Every single town I'm in across the state, people are worried about our kids coming out of COVID. Uh, I hear, I mean, there's tremendous stress on our children. The mental health issues are really severe. Our teachers have been under incredible pressure. They're working harder than ever, you know, running classes from home while they had their own kids oftentimes to deal with. So I'd say the problem is big. It's a, it's a moral responsibility we have, but I would say it's also a huge economic opportunity. Uh, you know, and actually, if you go back to my CVS experience, I recruited hundreds of people to come work for CVS over my time there. And um, sadly, the lion's share of them ended up buying homes in Massachusetts when they came. 
And they really just did it for one reason, which was great public schools. <laughs> so I could see that firsthand. I saw the dollars that we sort of left on the table. And I believe that if we're going to get ourselves to a point where we've got an economy that is lifting people up and allowing us to reinvest, we have to invest in our schools. So I'm the only candidate with a very specific plan. I'd love people to go look at HelenaFolks.com. But I propose that we spend a billion dollars on education. And I think most importantly, I've said, if I don't get our kids' scores back above where they were before COVID, I won't run again. And I'm saying that because I want to hold myself accountable. That's what I did in my career. And I think that's what we deserve of politicians. Don't just talk about something. Put your put yourself on the line and really show people what what it means to you. Is the focus uh, pre-K to third grade? Is that where, where it all blossoms, uh, where the seeds are planted? It's hard to just say that. It's critical, obviously. A key part of my plan is universal pre-K. I also have proposed that uh, teachers uh, who are, are in grades K through 3 have teaching assistance because that will really help support these teachers as they're dealing with uh, a lot of the stress and mental health issues I talked about. But this goes all the way through uh, high school. So if you look at my plan, I've proposed doubling our investment in career and technical ed. We have a lot of kids who... Um, if we allowed them to really tap into their passion, let's say starting in eighth or ninth grade, they could figure out what careers are exciting for them and be well prepared for great futures, whether they go to college or not. And uh, we've, we haven't done enough around that, so I'd like to invest there. A lot of other things in my plan, but it's really comprehensive. Taking a cue from that statement, though, career and technical, of course, we have a career and technical center under construction here. When uh, Gina Raimondo was in studio with us, uh, she said, I'm bringing a career in technical center to Woonsocket. And then it's coming and so forth. Then she leaves as Commerce Secretary. But it's being constructed as we mm -hmm. speak. I know CBS was a participant uh, in that. Uh, but uh, that's the, the kind of thing, I guess, uh, that uh, we need to, we've got to bring the education to uh, where the people are. Frank. We definitely do. We, we need to bring it where they are. It's making a big difference where we have it. We could also infuse it into our core public schools, too, and a lot of cities and towns are doing a great job of that. As we make our way through this interview, the topics we bring up are not necessarily in order of priority, so bear with okay. us. We're moving from lofty topics like what to do with education to some of the uh, bread and butter issues. So I'll, I'll move to one of them. Uh, Dan McKee pushed through the other day the uh, Pawtucket Soccer Stadium. And um, a lot of us here in Northern Rhode Island paying attention to that. We saw the Paw Sox leave uh, Rhode Island doing so, so well. I mean, they just love the Woo Sox and Worcester. It's incredible. That's another story for another day. Yep. But that, if you were the sitting governor, um, you know, what do you, what do you do? How much money do you use of state money or state uh, uh, backed up money? for a, a private uh, uh, investment opportunity, yet it's helping one of the largest cities in the state. I don't know. It must be tough. It's a hard one, yeah. I mean, look, I, I would start with uh, uh, the fact that I think it's really important that we invest in northern Rhode Island, Pawtucket, Pawtucket in particular. Uh, I think the whole complex as it originally was envisioned 
is a very good idea. We need to invest in these cities and towns, and Pawtucket has so much going for it. I love the idea of the stadium, along with everything else that was planned, whether it was the shops and, you know, the riverway and, and the housing and all the things that could come together. So when this was approved originally in February of 2021, it was a comprehensive program to revitalize Pawtucket. And I thought this was a very good use of... of, of uh, government money to the extent that we you know did it well what happened was and people get this because this is what they're dealing with in their own lives the costs went up 50 percent so now what do you do and uh what i would have done is i would have looked at the whole project kept it together and said what are the pieces we scale back this is what you do in your personal life when your costs go up 50 percent and you're doing a project on your home you say maybe i can't afford everything i wanted to do what's really critical i think the mistake that was made here is is what they did was they said well let's not fund the whole project or scale it all back or figure out how to make the whole thing work Let's just build the stadium and hope the rest will come. So they stripped away the housing and retail. Everything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that was a real mistake. And we're now building um, the most expensive soccer stadium, USL, in the whole country here in Pawtucket. Could we have done a scaled down soccer stadium for less than $60 million in government money and then saved money to invest in everything else? I do, I do think we could have. We could have pulled people together and said, what are smarter ways to do this? So I think that was the mistake. I think that this is what the people of, you know, Pawtucket, Northern Rhode Island, Rhode Island in general need is, is people in government who are willing to lead. Uh, who are willing to listen to experts, who are willing to make hard choices. And I'm disappointed in this. Of course, I'd love for Pawtucket to be wildly successful. I hope the rest does come. But I think it's a big mistake just to fund this and then hope we find the money later to do everything else. And for listener uh, clarity, when the story came out, your brother who sits on uh, Rhode Island Commerce said, uh, I didn't speak to Helena and mm-hmm. so and so forth. So, so yeah. that's on the record, right? Yep, yep, okay. absolutely. Now we're going to uh, move on uh, here and, and talk about housing. Um, if you drive around, I live in Woonsocket, drive around the city of Woonsocket, housing. And, of course, uh, the, the, uh, we talk about housing affordability. We, ca- we have every level of housing you could think of here mm-hmm. in Woonsocket, from, uh, first of all, uh, uh, terrible housing uh, to uh, high-rises to... Uh, we got a lot of housing here, and I think a lot of people in this area, uh, they say, um, you know, they hear Sabina Matos all the time uh, talking about housing and so forth. Mm-hmm. I think we don't see it as much of an issue because there's so much of it concentrated here as the rest of the state. But is housing uh, affordability um, really one of the key issues of this campaign? It is. Affordability in in general. I mean, people are feeling very stressed by inflation, gas prices, housing prices. You know, I think the the best story I heard that I think crystallizes this is a a guy I spoke to who's in his 60s. Uh, He said, you know, Helena, I bought my first house 40 years ago and it cost me two times my salary. He's a teacher. Cost me two times my salary 40 years ago. And my three sons all want to buy their own homes now. It's going to cost them five times their salary. Mm. So I think it's this issue of 
are we pricing ourselves out of this state? Can our kids afford to live here and have good lives? And so if you look at the numbers, we're 20,000 units short in this state. You know, that's just the math. Uh, and so we've got to figure out what's a smart way to increase supply, because when we increase supply, it's going to keep the price down for people. I have a lot of ideas around this. Again, you can go to HelenaFolks.com and see all my thoughts, but I'll give you one very simple one. Accessory dwelling units, something they do in Massachusetts and California. And this is this idea of you've got a house with a garage. And let's say you convert your garage into an apartment suite. Oftentimes older people do this. doesn't have to be older people. But they can then live in the smaller unit and rent out the bigger house. It's a source of income for them. It obviously increases supply pretty easily. These are the kinds of things that we can do that are going to really decrease the strain. You don't solve it overnight, but there's a lot of tools in our toolkit. We need a governor who's going to lead us in this effort. Helena, do you ever get conflicted coming from private industry over at CVS where there's government, uh, you're in private industry as an executive there, there's government trying to control uh, what you do at CVS and you're a private company trying to control what you do for your stockholders. And so now here you are running for governor, <laughs> and you're trying to solve the housing uh, issue. And uh, maybe uh, those in the real estate market uh, privately are saying, uh, we don't need, uh, the marketplace is going to take care of itself. Are you conflicted about that ever uh, coming from private industry? No, I think that my experience in business really positions me to be a very different kind of leader than what we have today in the state. And, you know, if the state were in great shape, uh, then I think existing politicians would have a, an easy way in. But look, for me, just so your listeners understand, I, as I said, I started at a very low level as CVS and over 25 years had almost every job you could have. By the time I finished, uh, my last job I was running all of retail, I had 200,000 people working for me, an $80 billion budget. And the reason I say that is I know how to lead at scale. I know how to get things done. And I think it's important whether you're working in a company or you're leading a state government is that you have great people around you. You get results for people. And I believe very firmly that when you have great leaders at the top, you can make amazing things happen for people. With that many people and that big of a budget, being governor must be a walk in the park. (laughs) We'll be back in a moment with more of the Upfront program. Seven-day-a-week dining at Grumpy's. Quality dining, casual dining. Monday through Thursday, our $10 dinner special starting at 4 p.m. You might find baked manicotti on the menu, or honey jack chicken, or our special oven-baked meatloaf. Monday through Thursday, $10 dinner special starting at 4 at Grumpy's. Or you can select from our regular menu with so many choices. And our kitchen is open on Friday and Saturday night till midnight for your convenience. So, for quality dining, come on into Grumpy's Restaurant, holding our prices during these inflationary times. Pulaski Boulevard, South Bellingham, Massachusetts. Scott McGee from the Stearns McGee team is ready. Whether you're buying or selling a home or just curious about the local market conditions, Scott would love to offer his services to you. He knows the local community, both as an agent and a neighbor, and can help you guide through the nuances of the current real estate market. So let Scott work hard for you. Your real estate experience will be memorable and enjoyable. You can reach him directly at 401-639-2906. 
Well, here's a question for you from Vern Rainville. Do you have frozen pipes or ice dams causing some damage to your home last winter? Well, this is probably covered by insurance. And did you know that you have two years to file a claim? Call Vern Rainville, the local adjuster that represents you not the insurance company. Vern is a licensed public adjuster by the state of Rhode Island and will work for you to initiate a claim. You can call Vern Rainville today at 484-384-95 for a free no-obligation in-home consultation. All calls are returned in less than 24 hours. Thank you, and uh, we want to remind you that Vern Rainville has been a contractor for over 25 years, and he knows how to properly access and estimate the repair process to your home. Vern uses the latest uh, estimating software with the most current pricing in the area so that uh, when Vern enters the picture, you've got somebody who's got that construction background, and you've got somebody who uh, has the latest um, the latest prices uh, for wood and materials uh, to get the right uh, estimate and the right settlement for you. Vern Rainville, public adjuster. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. Okay, uh, Meet the Candidates uh, continues on uh, tomorrow's program with Chris Beauchamp running for Woonsocket City Council. Woonsocket uh, has 13 candidates uh, in the council lineup. Seven will be chosen in November. Chris has served on the council already and uh, decided to come back. Mayor Lisa Baldelli-Hunt needed some friends on the council, and he was one of them, and so she uh, would like to uh, see him elected, and he'll be here tomorrow making his case. Helena Folks is with us. Hello. Hi there. Nice to have you here. We're going over uh, some of the uh, issues of the day, uh, going uh, back and forth. Um, on um, on some some issues, and of course, so you sit across from me, and uh, you say, uh, "This looks like a middle class uh, type of guy." And a lot of the middle class folks uh, that um, I uh, I know uh, feel like uh, we're kind of being left out of the the picture. And, and I look on your website, and I see something called uh, uh, helping the middle class. Mm. What does that mean? How uh, help me? Yeah. Yeah. What can right. you do for me? Right. I feel strapped too. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, look, I think it's especially important that we think about this as we head into a recession. Uh, we, I, 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 I think the role of state government is to serve, to serve the people of the state of Rhode Island. And, uh, we're at a time that people are very worried about what's going on in their own pocketbooks. And we should expect a lot of our leaders. Last year, we had a $900 million state surplus. Uh, and, I don't think that most Rhode Islanders feel like they got a whole lot of value for that money. Uh, so that was a lot of money sitting there. We also got $1.1 billion from ARPA funds. We're getting $2.5 billion from the federal government on infrastructure. And I want to make sure that everyone in Rhode Island is benefited by all that, not just a special few at the state house, but really making sure that money gets to the people who need it. So specifically, uh, one of my ideas is with such a strong surplus last year, I was proposing that we give everyone who makes $100,000 or less $500 to, uh, cash back 
you know, put it back in people's pockets. They're struggling with gas, gas prices and inflation. So let's take some of this surplus money and give it back to them. Let's just make sure that state government is working for them. There's so many small business owners that I talk to who have a lot that we could do to make their lives better. And that frees them up to spend more time on their business and hire more people. And by the way, the last thing I'd be doing is raising taxes on small businesses. That's something that one of my opponents, Nellie Garbea, has proposed. I think it's a big mistake in a moment like this where we're heading into a recession. I think we should be tightening our own belts and making sure that we're making good, strong, hard choices. And ultimately, in a state where our budget is $13 billion, we've got to figure out how to get more of that money to the people who really need it. So, uh, as you are answering that question, there I am shuffling papers. What the hell is he doing shuffling papers? I was looking for that Nellie Garbier uh, thing. She was here, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and she uh, she proposed that. And uh, not only was it, uh, it was for, um, you know, directed towards small business, but, but anybody yeah. who's been successful uh, in Rhode Island and and I'm not a, a rich type of guy, and I wouldn't even qualify. My company wouldn't even qualify uh, if, if, in fact, she got her way. We fall far below that. But I've also recognized, and knowing some people who have been successful with their businesses, how much they're, uh, they've contributed to the economy in hiring people and expanding their business. I really was turned off by that. Of course, I'm playing right into your hands right now, but that was a turnoff for Nelly and... Uh, And I guess you caught on to that. Well, I hear this from a lot of people. I really do. I I think when I first saw her ad, I thought she meant just the big companies. And then when we read the details, I was so surprised she would do this. I mean, this is a moment, as I said, where we're heading into a recession. There's a huge amount of uncertainty. We just had an enormous surplus. I don't know why you would do this. And these are, you know, these are companies across the state like, you know, cellos or Dell's or Patriots Diner here. I mean, a lot of businesses that you wouldn't call big, successful, you know, rich businesses. These are businesses that if if um, if we had more taxes, they're going to struggle to keep hiring the people that we need them to hire. I used to think of uh, CVS as toothpaste and Tylenol, but uh, then uh, it expanded uh, and... Um, uh, I saw it become uh, a health care agency mm-hmm. uh, over the years. It's in trouble uh, with the uh, state of New York, but that's for another day and another guess. But, uh, but anyway, uh, so I know that uh, you know a lot about uh, health care. Uh, we have a health care workforce in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have nursing homes that are not properly staffed. We have uh, the reproductive uh, health issue. I'm going to throw like a big ball over to you right now and kind of let you just go your own way. Whatever you want to say about health care, whether it's reproductive health mm. or whether it's about staffing or whether it's about quality of care in Rhode Island. Uh, this, this is what we call a... Uh, uh, they call me Mr. Softy when it comes to interviews. So you, you got the softball question of the morning. <laughs> Thank you, Roger. But it's a really important question, honestly. So I, I think I'll start with um, reproductive health. You know, this is a terrifying time for women in this country. To have a right that they've had for 50 years taken away is very scary. And in this state, I'm thrilled that in 2019... Um, We codified Roe v. Wade. But we also live in a state where if your health insurance is through Medicaid or the state itself, 
you do not have access to abortion coverage. And this is a third of all women in the state of Rhode Island. They are obviously mostly the poor women who need this most. It's a huge economic issue. I would not have passed the budget uh, without requiring that the legislature take this up. Uh, It's been in front of them for three years. They've stalled on it. I think the governor gave lip service to it. But at the end of the day, he didn't push it through. And I don't think the women of Rhode Island are going to forget this. I think this is a huge issue. So I, I feel very passionately about that. Um, when you speak to broader health care in this state, wow, you know, we're a state of 1.1 million people. And I would love us to be a gem in the health care system. When I talk to people in other states, I, I say to them, you know, we could be the place that is the learning lab for this whole country and how to do it right. And I learned a lot in my time at CVS. I, I, I think I know more than anyone else in this race about health care and the, just all the complexities of the payment structures and everything else. But at the end of the day, it starts with having local care you can really trust and that you can access. And we don't have enough of that in the state. And if we had more people who could get access to the right care early... We could keep them out of the emergency rooms. And that is the biggest source of waste right now in our system. I'll give you an example of someone with diabetes. You know, there are probably in this state um, close to 200,000 people who have diabetes or pre-diabetic. If they knew early enough, they could get their A1C tests, their foot exams, all these services that ultimately keep them healthy and save the whole system money. And so I would love to be the governor who could help us figure that out. Uh, we have way too much of it trapped in, in administrative overhead. needs to be serving the people of the state. I'm glad that we have reexamined Medicaid rates. They are far too low compared to our neighboring states. And what that does is it results in uh, a lot of strain on the system. And then to your point, we have a massive shortage of healthcare workers everywhere in the country, Rhode Island included. Um, nursing is an incredible profession, but the nursing strain in the last couple of years is tremendous. I saw this firsthand. Um, my dad was in the hospital recently and just watching how hard everyone was working in the system, but watching people lying in beds in the hallways in the emergency rooms because there weren't enough nurses to take them to the MRI machines and all the other services they needed was uh, just devastating. And so we need a governor who's going to lead, who's going to create a stronger pipeline of nurses. I have proposals around that. I've, I've suggested that we expand the Rhode Island Promise Program so that if you go to school in Rhode Island to get a degree in nursing and you serve for four years afterwards in Rhode Island, that we'd cover your tuition. It would dramatically expand the pipeline of nurses. We would also create more nurses of color and make sure that we have nurses who really represent the people they're serving. Uh, the last thing I'd say is whether it relates to elder care or child care, uh, that system is broken too. You know, the average Rhode Islander spends 25% of their income on child care. Uh, and the problem with the system is it's both very expensive to these young families, but it's also a system where the average child care worker makes less than they could make if they worked at Dunkin' Donuts. So we have a broken system. We've got to fix all these things. But as I said, I'm also really an optimist. And I believe in a state of our size. If anyone could make a difference, we could and I could with the kind of leadership that I'd love to bring. I've got a, maybe a 
half a dozen, a dozen of our listeners who own nursing homes saying, Roger, uh, why don't you ask her about the systems behind mm-hmm. the uh, hospital system? If that uh, nursing home system collapses in Rhode Island, yep. we've got a bigger problem than uh, maybe we could handle. We do. We do. We have a, we have a, a system under crisis. Uh, they've been through a lot in COVID, and uh, families are relying on them. Uh, I also think there's an opportunity to help our elderly population figure out how they can age in home and, you know, provide mm-hmm. more services to family caregivers taking care of their loved ones at home. So there's a lot we could do. <sighs> Climate action climate change the governor says renewable energy 100 percent by uh 2040 uh you know what the a lot of our listeners are calling talk shows uh they say all right uh i buy an electric car and then i plug it in and then uh, uh it draws electricity where's the electricity that it's drawing from come from uh does he have a realistic um approach to uh our energy problems i think we know that uh, climate action, as they call it, is necessary, but um, I'm not quite sure uh, speeding it uh, uh, to uh, 2030 or 2040 is the answer, but maybe you have a different answer, Helena. Well, I think the goal is the right goal, and this began before um, Governor McKee was here, but I, I believe that this is a crisis for our state. We are the ocean state. Uh, we have 400 miles of incredible ocean and waterways everywhere in the state. And uh, our, our children and grandchildren are threatened. Their, their, their lives are going to be threatened in terms of how we live. So acting on it, I think, makes an enormous amount of sense. I think there are two things missing from what the governor has. First of all, there's no action plan. He's got a big goal with no plan to get there. And this is what I hear from... Uh, business leaders, uh, climate people, they say, fantastic that we've got the, the goal. What do we do to get along the, there along the way? What are the milestones we have to hit? If I have a, a small manufacturing business, what's my responsibility? How do I know if I'm doing it? So this is where my leadership really, I think, could make a big difference. I know how to execute. I know how to get things done. And so for me, it's not enough just to talk about things. This is I, honestly what drives me crazy about some of the politicians that I meet. It's just talking about issues but not creating a plan. So that's one very important part of this. I've also proposed that my biggest economic plan is to invest in what I'm calling the blue economy, which is essentially... How do we take this advantage we have of our 400 miles of coast, URI School of Oceanography, the Naval War College, and use it to our advantage so we can create an economy that's thriving and at the same time benefit the climate? And so I proposed doing what Boston did a decade ago with life sciences. They got the government, business, and universities together. They did a billion-dollar bond, and they leaned into life sciences I'm proposing a $250 million bond on the blue economy. It could really put us on the map in this country. We were the first in offshore wind farm, uh, but there's a lot more we need to do, and it would drive this economy and also make sure we have a really robust plan on climate. All right, here he comes, an old white male speaking on the radio. Um, And I I read a news story. I'm not going to name the candidate, but she's campaigning. Here in uh, Rhode Island, 
to protect, improve, and expand, not restrict the voting process. We're going to talk about voting rights in Rhode Island. And, hmm. well, maybe uh, I'm educable, so maybe you can, um, you can re, uh, reintroduce uh, the whole concept uh, to me. But I, um, I didn't think that uh, it was difficult to go, to go vote, and especially now with early voting. Uh, I mean, how, how easy it is. But this person is, is thinking that we have to go further. Help me, please. Yeah, I, I, do I, I need help. I, I believe that we need to make voting easier. I really do. Okay. And um, you know, my own, my own personal experience. Look, I was a working mom with four kids. Um, you know, had had the one day to vote. Now it's earlier and easier. Um, but there's a lot going on in people's lives. We should make this easy. So you know, what's a simple concept? Um, being able to go online and ask for a mail ballot. I like that idea. Why not? That should be something that we do, and this is part of the um, the, the, the the new uh, bill. Uh, another thing is when you have a mail-in ballot, making sure it doesn't need to be notarized or signed by two other people, being able to sign it yourself. I mean, there are a lot of things we can do that are not uh, crazy, that just make it simpler, and engaging the population is critical. And I do think as we all just are living busier, more stressed-out lives, we're Working a couple jobs, we've got to find ways to make it easier. We have a whole bunch of listeners in our audience that are interested in guns, mm-hmm. Second Amendment. They're interested in um, uh, other issues. I'll just bring that up. This has been a big debate in, in Rhode Island. I mean, it is the issue that brings more people to the state house, the guns issue, than um, any other topic. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, when I have Senator Picard here. He said, that's the one that draws. Uh, I have Senator Murray here. That's the one that brings him to the state house. They're not interested in taxes. Your comments. Yeah, I'm, uh, look, certainly the Second Amendment is, is, is a right. And I think we're living in a time where it's critical uh, that we enact stronger gun safety legislation. So I'm very pleased that the legislature took actions they did this year to raise the age from 18 to 21 after Uvalde. I think we all learned that 18-year-olds do not need to be able to buy guns. Um, the legislature also took action on reducing the magazine capacity, which I think was great. But we still allow assault weapons in this state. We are... Uh, the you know we're surrounded by Massachusetts and Connecticut, which are also democratically led, where they have a ban on assault weapons. I think that's a mistake. I would drive very hard to make sure there's no need to have an assault weapon. And I'm pleased. I've I've got the support of um, Moms Demand Action, and I would be a fierce fighter for that ban on assault weapons. So this is a talk show every day. So couple of people um, you know we let them weigh in on topics uh, so what topic would you like to uh, weigh in on with uh, our potential governor well the bottom line is rhode island does have an energy plan and it's to go with wind and solar for electricity mm-hmm. that plan has failed in several other countries throughout the world yes it has failed it has never worked and it will not work I'm an electronic technician I've studied the problem thoroughly it will never work the average output of a solar of a wind farm is only one percent of its installed total capacity so you need a capacity a hundred times what the state needs just to possibly run it and that's from the world economic forum you know the bottom line yeah go ahead we but must 
Let me talk for a second. But if uh, Helena becomes governor, I will give her your number so that she can talk to you as a consultant. Uh, Because uh, I do, I do, you know, I think everybody who comes into office does need to have uh, people to uh, to talk to. Finish up your comment, then I'll go to the other guy or other person. Go ahead. Well, I'm just wondering if she's willing to actually go the nuclear route, which was done in, which is going to be done in Utah and Idaho. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line is, we can build the nuclear power plants we need ten times right. cheaper than just lead acid batteries we need to back up the solar power, which would have to be replaced tw- every twenty years. Whereas advanced nuclear could take that place. Gotcha. All right. So uh, I, I'm going to uh, ask you, uh, uh, has nuclear ever entered into your uh, mindset, or is that just uh, something that uh, other people talk about, like talk show callers? <laughs> well, look, I, 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 I think that uh, we've got to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And technology is improving every year. So we are going to benefit in the next decade from incredible innovation in wind and solar and other forms of energy. It's going to be a hard transition. We've got to get it done. I do not see nuclear being an option. As I told this guy, uh, he's called before, as I told him, you know, if wind and solar don't work, uh, they might just be forced to consider nuclear. And, and um, you know, nuclear is a bad word right now for a lot of people, but it might not be so bad if other options don't work out. So what's, uh, what's your comment for Helena before we uh, let her uh, go on her merry way? Go ahead. Morning. I'll be quick. I know we're, we're coming up on the hour, but um, thanks, yeah. Ms. folks, for coming up and talking. Um, and, you know, just a quick backstory. I was driving up Route 1A, and I saw some of your signs on some of the properties, mm-hmm. and I thought to myself, I'd love to ask Ms. folks about uh, ocean access. And then I tune into Upfront, and you're on. I'm like, this could not have worked out better. <laughs> so, Ms. folks, <laughs> right. uh, Article 1, Section 17, Rhode Island Constitution, uh, guarantees us access to the to uh, to the waterways, uh, so all four hundred. I think it's all four hundred miles or close. Yeah, she to said it, it was um, four hundred. It must mm-hmm. be so. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I will tell you, as someone who's been surfing these waters for twenty five years and fishing them for thirty, uh, all along, so there is a war right now between um, normal, average people like myself who enjoy the ocean. We surf, we fish, we take trash with us. We take other people's trash with us. I do mm. that every February. I organize mm. the beach cleanup. And uh, they, let's face it, you know it, Roger knows it, we all know, there's a war, there's wealthy people who would shut down those accesses in a split second if they mm-hmm. had the chance to. Where do you, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to, there's uncertainty right now where the high water mark is. Nobody can tell where the high water mark is. So I think that it should always, the burden should be with the property owner. Anyway, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to throw that up there, tee that up for you, Ms. Folks, it's all you. Thank you. All right, one of the problems you will have to solve if you're elected governor. The yeah. high watermark. Right. It is so complicated. Well, I, I mean, I just start with the premise that uh, these waters are here for everyone to enjoy. Uh, it's a spectacular state. Thank you for what you do in terms of cleanup. And uh, I, I understand the joy of surfing in these waters. So uh, making sure everyone can access them, I think, is critically important. I know a lot of this happens at the very local level. And we've got town people who, you know, are immersed in very challenging conversations at the end of the day. We've got to make sure that people can enjoy the beautiful waters we have. So my final question, philosophical question, um, we see uh, the Congress of the United States there down in Washington. We see Massachusetts with a whole different approach to economy and mm-hmm. than Rhode Island, and yet we're next door to each other. How, do these, how does Rhode Island and Massachusetts interact with each other? 
And do we really have much to do with what's going on in Washington, D.C.? Or we're pretty much isolated. Once we get our American rescue money, we've got billions of dollars, we're free on our own island. No? Well, you know, I, I think I think Washington is stuck right now. We have some very good leaders. We're fortunate, honestly, to be represented by the folks we have who are helping us tremendously. But at the end of the day, essentially one of the reasons I'm running for governor is, is I know how to run things and I know how to get things done. And I think just given what happened with Roe v. Wade, what people are realizing is governors matter now more than ever. We've got to have people in these positions who lift us up. And, and for me, the two most important things that I think I could do are build a great education system, critically important for the long term. And Massachusetts has done that very effectively in the last 25 years. They've stayed the course. They've held very high standards for their kids, and they're benefiting from that. Uh, and building a great economy. Look at Massachusetts. We can do this. The blue economy, our small businesses. We need a leader who understands business. I really, I really do. I see the power of business to lift people up. I don't see it as a force of evil. I see it as a place where we could embrace the business community and make sure people have great paying jobs and great futures. And I'd love to get things done for the people of Rhode Island. Do you have a minute or two for a few email questions? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Michelle says, uh, please ask the candidate for governor what she would do to ensure voting integrity. I think we sort of commented on that a little bit earlier, but uh, uh, there it is anyway. Yeah, I, I, I think that, um, you know, the, the legislation that um, was just passed, I think, is, does a very nice job of that. Good morning, Roger and... Uh, Ms. Folks, I'm a retired nurse, an independent voter. In my opinion, you seem to be the best Democrat candidate for governor. And now I lost the email. Oh, back again. Uh, uh, but uh, Democrats' abortion policies, Biden's Green Deal and stuff like that, let Rhode Island vote are not acceptable. Just my opinion. Yeah, it looks like you're going to get her vote even though she doesn't agree with you on everything. <laughs> Okay. Well, I'd love that. And look, at the end of the day, it's really not about Washington. It's about what's happening here in Rhode Island and the money we have and making sure it works for the people of Rhode Island. Alina, folks, thank you for uh, being with us for a little while and uh, sharing your uh, thoughts. Uh, did we miss something uh, that uh, you wanted to talk about? But I, I, I No, I, it's such an honor being here, Roger. Thanks for all you do. We'll see you tomorrow with uh, Mr. Uh, Chris Beauchamp. i uh, got another commercial to play here, and then... Uh, We'll, uh, we'll be out of here. Zero says, let's be happy again Wednesday through Sunday with our appetizer and drink specials till 5 p.m. $6 appetizers, including chicken tenders. $6 well drinks, including our tequila margaritas. Oh, that's my favorite. $6 sangria specials and daily draft specials at Zero's. And then there's our lunch specials served Wednesday through Sunday starting at noontime. Pick a sandwich, pick a soup. And the price is $10.99. Special sandwich combos, pick a sandwich, pick a side, only $12.99. Zeros, downtown Woonsocket. Let's be happy again at Zeros of Woonsocket. Patio open. open for the summer. Open tomorrow. This has been WNRI's Upfront, presented weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Upfront is a regular public affairs presentation of News Talk 1380, WNRI Woonsocket.